Can, is the clock running? I pressed yes. it a couple yes, times. Yes, it is. Okay, yeah, good. It should be running. All right, let okay. go. We know of new methods of attack. The Trojan horse. The fifth column. Greetings, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to another installment of the Fifth Column Podcast. Delighted to be with you today. It's a beautiful, beautiful day outside. No longer thunderstorming here in New York. It's actually horrible outside. <laughs> it's <laughs> it's thousand degrees. It's though. warm. It's I mean, warm. Yeah, that's it's warm. It's horrible. In a way, I'm still in Greece. I am Camille Foster of, a, of an outfit called Freethink Media. Welcome to the most interesting hour of your day. I like when they say stuff like that on NPR. Yeah, I always yeah. believe them when they say it. Uh, I am joined, uh, as always, by my compatriots, uh, although we are in a, in a bit of a different uh, constellation today. Um, I am here in New York with Michael Moynihan of uh, Vice News. Um, Hi, and in Philly at the DNC. That noise, for the all noise that you hear in the noise. background. Yeah, that's Matt. <laughs> Is uh, Matt Welch <laughs> on location at the uh, DNC convention. Matt, how are you? Have you been injured? Uh, have you been harmed in any way shape or form um i have not i have not yet mm -hmm. um uh the, the restraining order on nick gillespie seems to have uh, been mostly enforced <laughs> um which is helpful uh as michael can testify uh, from personal experience. Um, your, your colleague uh, no, i'm sure I, he would never do anything to harm you if i'm not mistaken lenny kravitz is uh, is sound checking right now? Oh, uh, so I'm looking for any part of this arena to get away from the hell of uh, of Kravitzian rock. Yeah, uh, yeah. Everyone's always hey, saying, I see, like, "I see what you did there. Yeah, yeah, you got yeah. to get away yeah, from his yeah, rock and roll. Yeah. Oh, Good job." No. Yeah. Well, I, uh, I, 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 I just want to know how I'm going to go my way. Uh, <laughs> I'm not going to let you get. Wait. You can't do it twice. I'm going to quit on the air. Yeah, you can't do it twice, <laughs> Matt. Um, but Matt, what are you? What are you seeing there? What are you seeing? Is it is uh, it you know as dramatic I, I, the and surprise to me uh -huh. uh, is um, and I know that I just am making terrible audio by interrupting you here while my uh, <laughs> lousy cell phone. But um, the biggest surprise to me to, has been the intransigence of the Bernie uh, dead enders. Mm. Um, uh, the yesterday and we're taping this Wednesday. It'll probably come out Thursday, maybe. No, no, I'm going to try to drop it today. Days. I'm going to try to drop it today, this afternoon. Damn. Mm. Uh, yesterday, there was a big walkout of about 300 or so uh, uh, Bernie delegates. They were pissed off about how they were manhandled on the floor during the roll call vote, in which, you know, you say, oh, Iowa is the great state. It has corn pone and whatever. Uh, and they announced their vote. They, um, the DNC and the Hillary forces, although I repeat myself, um, they uh, <laughs> were doing things like, as the North Dakota delegation told me, telling them that if you have a Bernie sign waving during this uh, period of time, we will arrest you. <laughs> Certainly an empty threat, but uh, when a lot of Bernie supporters were just being told, flat out, we'll arrest you, you know, the Secret Service is going to come and get you. Um, they were forming phalanxes in the New York delegation uh, uh, to get uh, no one uh, with any kind of Bernie enthusiasm within a, a country mile of Andrew Cuomo as he uh, read out his crap. Uh, and the uh, vote count here. They were all really, really mad. They've been mad the whole week. A lot of them have been protesting outside. And they were putting, you know, duct tape over their mouths. And I've been talking and maybe having a couple of drinks uh, with these people. Uh, Did they still have the tape over their mouth when you were having drinks with them? Because <laughs> that would be a more enjoyable thing. <laughs> and by the way, can I point out, Matt Welch, uh, live in Philly, I don't understand this duct tape. 
No one's preventing them from talking. What are they trying to prove with the duct tape? You're talking to these people. Explain this to me. Um, they feel like their free speech is being, when you say, like, you can't wave a Bernie sign or else we're going to arrest you. They think it's a free speech and First Amendment issue. Yeah, that's Dele- not how free uh, speech you know, works. Uh, a convention, <laughs> <Not really. laughs> uh, the delegates are supposed to kind of reign supreme. They've been booing like crazy. Um, uh, I was hanging out with the California delegation. They're the ones making all the noise if you're watching it on TV there. And these people hate Hillary Clinton. They, I, I was out drinking with the North Dakota people again. They're pretty rad. Um, they were chanting, lock her up. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Really? Yeah. On loan from the Trump campaign, Trump supporters. Yeah. I heard the locker up stuff, too. That was the North Dakota delegation. Interesting. Yeah. uh, No, they they, uh, led the walkout there. And those people are telling me that they um, it's a split. Uh, Some say they'll hold their nose and vote for Hillary Clinton because, uh, you know, it's an exercise of privilege for people. Uh, to not vote for Hillary in this year where Donald Trump is going to ruin people of color as we know it. Um, uh, but many others say that it's Jill Stein and a lot, uh, less than Jill Stein, but a lot are suggesting to me without my prompting that they're taking a good look at Terry Johnson as well. Hmm, that's very interesting. And and I want to just quickly recap what, what has happened sort of since last week because it gives us a sense of just how insane uh, things are right now. Uh, we have the Trump speech, which happens after we recorded last week, and we can talk about it a little bit. Um, we have him doubling down on the Ted Cruz's dad and the grassy knoll theory that he had articulated during the primaries um, in a press conference shortly after his speech. Yes, we have more day, yeah. more damn email controversy coming out of the DNC. Debbie Wasserman Schultz, who subsequently resigns and initially is planning to gavel in and gavel out the convention and then can't do it because she's being mercilessly booed. We have all of the high drama proceeding Bernie Sanders' speech uh, at the DNC because no one knows what he will do. He himself was booed uh, when he told folks from his own delegation earlier, you totally have to support Hillary Clinton because we have to stop that damn Donald Trump guy. Um, And then there are the two rousing speeches from sort of the previous night uh, with uh, the first lady. Um, who gave a speech that was wildly uh, applauded and, and said to be wonderful and marvelous. Uh, the, 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 I think, big takeaway line there was when they go low, uh, we fly higher or we go higher, uh, which not to be confused with if they bring a knife, we bring a gun. Mm. Um, and then you had Bernie Sanders' own speech, uh, which we hoped or they hoped at any rate would quell uh, all of the dissatisfaction. There seemed to be some folks who were satisfied. But as Matt has underscored, the uh, the rebellion continues. Um, and last night, we also had an interesting night with Bill Clinton, uh, the Black Lives Moms, uh, Black Lives Matter Moms, Blim is uh, how you would say that out loud. Blim. Um, and we can get into that a little bit. Um I mean, Matt, is there is it? Well, guys, you tell me, uh, am I leaving anything else out? Oh, all of the, the various terrorism attacks that we've yeah. had reported. Um, you're you're leaving so it's out been something full. very important and near and dear to Michael and my heart. In fact, the fact that you're leaving this. Well, out I got the terrorism attacks, so I don't know. You're on you're on the payroll. It's Ruskies. The Ruskies. Yeah. Are yeah. Oh, that's right. Yeah. That's right. The Holy Ruskies cow. are behind the email yeah. scandal. Um, and, and interestingly, when, when it first came out, and, and again, just to give some context for anyone who isn't paying attention, uh, DNC emails were appeared on the WikiLeaks website uh, just before the convention began. And those DNC emails seemed to demonstrate an explicit bias on the part of DNC of the DNC itself um, supporting Hillary Clinton 
the emails would sort of generally denigrate Bernie. They showed correspondence with various media outlets, sort of giving some messaging. Um, and even, and this seems to be the worst of the emails, but you guys can tell me if I'm missing something, um, even suggesting that the DNC perhaps uh, should start to make Bernie Sanders' religion um, or lack of religion because he is apparently or an atheist, perhaps an atheist, uh, but make his lack of religion an issue so that he might begin to lose some support. I'm going to I'm going to step in here because I have a piece going up probably in an hour or so um, at Vice um, where I do something rather strange in which I defend the DNC on every single one of these charges. I think every single one of these charges is bogus. And um, the reason being is that the collusion with the media, let's start with that one. There's no such collusion that you can find in this emails. There are people saying, let's, uh, Deborah Wasserman says, I'm going to try to get this guy on the phone. And influence. That is what the DNC is supposed to do. That's what the RNC is supposed to do. They are messaging for their candidate. And if they're not talking to the media, they're doing something wrong and they should all be fired. Sure. It does. There's no, um, there's a Ken Vogel piece from, from Politico, which is the most sort of smoking gun in there. But that's smoking gun for Politico. Ago, not for the DNC, where he says, here, here's a, here's a, a, a copy of it. Um, I think maybe that just could be for, for fact-checking or saying, like, did I get anything wrong? Whatever. There's no indication that Ken Vogel uh, changed anything from his story. That's the first thing. The second thing about, about religion, I don't know why. Religion is a set of beliefs. I don't know why we get so touchy about saying we cannot question or interrogate people's sets of beliefs. Since Mitt Romney ran in 1994 uh, for the the Senate against Ted Kennedy in Massachusetts, Mormonism has been uh, a thing that people have attacked him on, and I think rightfully so, and said, do you believe – all this stuff and gone and gone after him and tried to figure out what his beliefs are and how those would would relate to how he made policy. Uh, the same thing is true with Donald Trump. We don't think about it in the same way. And it's actually similar to the Bernie thing here because it's, you know, he's pretending to be religious. And there are people saying, let's underscore that he says two Corinthians. And he doesn't actually know what he's talking about. So religion, this is a common thing. The only thing that people have a bit of a point on, a bit of a point, is that the DNC is trying to put their finger on the scale for um, one candidate. They're not supposed to do that. And I say they should do that. And the reason I say that they should do that, whether it's in their remit or not, is that Bernie Sanders became a Democrat last year, and he's never been one, and he's in his 70s, when he filed papers to run for, for the presidency. You know what he did yesterday? Hmm. After he, he urged party unity at, at the convention? What did he do yesterday? He announced that he would, he would return to the Senate as an independent. So not only is he a fair, fair weather Democrat, he's right. an opportunistic Democrat. And you know what? People should have expected that the DNC was not going to like this. These are, these are rock rib Democrats. This is part of their personality. This is who they are. And this guy comes in and says, I'm a Democratic Socialist. The first day when he registered as a Democrat to run for president, he said, I am an independent and I'm running. And then he stopped himself. And he says, well, you know, I am what I am. But he refused at the first day to identify as a Democrat. And that annoyed Democrats. It doesn't surprise me. Yeah. Matt, I mean, what do you what do you think? Have you taken a look at these of these emails? Do you uh, do you buy uh, Michael's perspective uh, that there, there isn't much there there? I largely do. Uh uh, especially in the media front, which was, was really bogus. Jake Tapper has a good post uh, defending his producers from charges that they were like uh, colluding with all this kind of people don't understand how the television news business works um, and how you know you set up interviews and that kind of thing. Um, but uh, uh, the it's weird because we knew that Debbie Wasserman Schultz was thumbing the scale. We knew that a year ago yeah, uh, in, in, in uh, actions and words and deeds um, that she was engaged in. 
Um, God, they, they're loving to make noise here. Uh, like, hey, are they, are they, are they smashing glass? Is yeah. that what's happening? Uh, uh, it's uh, they're closing down the grill in front of the fan gear uh, shop where oh. you can get your uh, you know Make America uh, awesome hats and stuff. Um, so uh, it, what's weird is that they. Um, it became this symbolic thing, right? Because you had these restive Bernie Democrats. They needed a scout. They needed something. These emails show that it's a little bit, the thumbing on the scale was, a, you know, you put actual meat on the bones of it, makes it more explicit, I guess. And these people really wanted to be mad about something showing that they were being disrespected. A lot of these people remember in California delegation, they think that their election was stolen. Uh, and they're yeah. very open about this. There's like mm-hmm. a million votes have not been counted yet. You had, uh, you know, uh, the ballots were were messed up. There were shredders. We saw them coming around here. The New York delegation has a, has kind of similar thoughts. So you have people um, who are right there on the edge between like uh, uh, criticism and conspiracy um, already. So they wanted a scalp. Uh, and uh, Deb Westman Schultz spoke in front of the uh, Florida delegation on Monday morning. Just her, own kind of delegation. Her, own dele- her own delegation. Her own delegation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and she got roundly booed by uh, reportedly a majority of people there, not just the Bernie people. So it became clear that people want. I mean, I was uh, I was doing a Pete Dominic show on Sirius XM, and we were taking callers, and you can you can tell that every single thing that a Bernie type progressive hates about the Republican or about the uh, Democratic Party. It's just corporate party. They're all like raising money. They don't care about the grassroots. They're paying lip service. You know, uh, you know, they're they're not opposing tracking enough. Everything that they hate about them, they all decided to channel into Debbie Wasserman Schultz. So I think it was a way disproportionate kind of response. But she's also a totally unlovable figure. She's She's a hack on television. She's a horrible, Uh, horrible horrible mess. She's, and she's not been good at her job. I mean, no. the, the Democrats have gotten historic wipeouts under her uh, under her tenure, and they haven't been particularly good at raising money, which is the whole point of that job. Yeah. So they needed to have her scalp. What is news and weird is that that wasn't nearly enough. They're still pissed off. They're still finding new ways to be pissed off. And the question will be, like, how is that going to translate into what happens in November? Yeah. Uh, is that just like, you know— 15% of the Bernie people here means that it'll be only 5% of the Bernie people out there. And the other part of that, which is interesting, is that Jill Stein, who is a carbon copy of Bernie Sanders. Jill, Jill Stein, policies, candidate for the uh, for the, the president for the Green Party. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yes, uh, she is haunting the halls here. Kennedy, our friend, um, uh, <laughs> created a bit of a media scrum. We can talk about that later, uh, <laughs> about that yesterday uh, with Jill Stein. Um, but uh, unlike in the Republican Party, um, there is an exact person that you could easily vote for to represent your views uh, here if you want to go third party, and that's Jill Stein. So I think uh, Hillary Clinton uh, and those and the Hillary forces hate the Bernie Bros at this point. They are so sick of them. They think we I can't. We, uh, I don't blame them. Backwards. They're we, uh, we gave you, you know, the fifteen dollars minimum wage and a platform and all this yeah. kind of stuff. They are pissed off. And they're going to drive them away. It's, uh, it's fascinating. I, I mean, I've never seen anything like this. I mean, this is I get I get shit on Twitter from from the Bernie people and uh, from the Trump people. And yesterday I tweeted something um, uh, or I guess it was not last night, the night before, which uh, got me in a, lo- a pile of trouble because of the Bernie people. And I was communicating with a couple of journalists who reached out to me saying, what the hell? I tweeted something and you can look at my tweet and um 
it uh, it got sort of 6,000 likes and 3,000 reaches. And it's a picture of a girl crying, and she has all these buttons on. And, the, and, and she's, like, weeping, and she has all these buttons all over her shirt. And I tweeted, the arena seems to be filled with suicidal Marxists who work at TGI Fridays. Oh, my God. And I'm not joking. They contacted my employer. Uh, no joke. The Bernie, actually, the yeah, Bernie supporters. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, they, there was people denouncing it. I mean, I mean, it's unbelievable. I mean, the, the the stuff that I got from this. Yeah. I mean, hundreds, and, and it hasn't stopped. And these people, they're fanatics. The thing that I find interesting about about what Matt was saying about the uh, the California delegation and uh, these people who believe that California was stolen in the same way that Ohio was stolen in two thousand four uh, by George W. Bush. Um, is that the, the same thing is actually true with these emails. What they're doing is this. They, they can't possibly comprehend that anybody would be against their guy. They, c- they can't possibly comprehend that somebody wouldn't, if they had the information that they had, vote for somebody other than Bernie Sanders. And this is what, in, and this is appropriate because it's Bernie Sanders, this is what Friedrich Engels called false consciousness. Mm-hmm. That, you know, people who aren't Marxists are suffering from false consciousness that is imparted to them by the capitalist media. If they understood, they would be on their side. So it is our, it is incumbent upon us as Marxists, as Engels said, to smash false consciousness. And this is what pervades all the conversation about this is that, you know, if you only knew, if these people only gave you the real scoop. If only Debbie Wasserman Schultz and the DNC was not conspiring. In the piece that I wrote, I'm just frustrated by this stuff, and I ended it with a uh, with a quote from Ed Rendell, who was a former former uh, chair of the DNC, who said, you know, people are really overestimating the power that the DNC has to affect primary voters, who are motivated voters, by the way. They're not sort of general voters. These are people that are highly motivated to vote in a primary. That's mm. why Bernie had so many people coming out to vote for him. But the idea that, that you know, putting the – putting not the finger but the hand on the scale – is what did it for Bernie allows people to say it's not our guy and it's not our ideology. We don't have to rejigger that at all. Americans love this stuff. It's just the fact that we were scammed and we're being scammed every day. And until we can defeat those dark forces that are preventing us from getting the nomination, you know, the the um, you know the system will be rigged forever. Is the system rigged? Yeah, it's rigged. But what does that mean? It can be rigged in a million different ways. It's such a bland, blank yeah. statement. There are things that of course, not only benefit in incumbency, but benefit dynasty like yeah. the Clintons. But, you know, the, that's of course true. And everybody knows that. There's no mystery to this. But, you know, Bernie Sanders did, had a pretty good run because he ran a good campaign, but he didn't run, run the best campaign. Right, right. And there's, there, you use the phrase uh, rigged system, uh, which is a favorite of one uh, Donald Trump, actually. Yeah, him and too. And I wanted to, to, to take a step back because we, we, before, we spoke before Donald Trump gave his uh, speech, uh, which has been much discussed at the uh, RNC convention. I wanted to take a step back to that um, and perhaps see if we can't draw some contrast between what we, what we saw at the RNC, um, what we are currently seeing at the DNC, and expect to see for the rest of the time. Um, certainly Trump's speech uh, was there was a lot of fire and brimstone there. Uh, a lot of scary things that he brought to bear. There were there were plenty of mentions of the word terrorism, of Islamic terrorism. Uh, there was an interesting point uh, at which he talked about. I don't even remember which uh, constellation of letters he used. LGBTU. Yeah. I, I don't I don't know. <laughs> that is not a, I'm not disparaging anyone. I just yeah, don't sure. know what is appropriate. Um, and he also said something about crime rates, which were appar- skyrocketing up 16 percent. I believe he said crime is up 16% in 50 different 
U.S. cities, something like that. And anytime you've got that many qualifications um, on a statistic, you should be very nervous. Um, but the important thing here that I sort of wanted to ask you guys about is when I listened to Trump's speech um, and then saw the reaction the day afterwards, that there were two things that stood out to me. One is that, well, he didn't he didn't talk about any policy. There's no specifics there. He's just saying stuff. Um, and the second is he was overwhelmingly negative. He was trying to scare people. Uh, but the truth is, when I contrast what Donald Trump said with what Bernie Sanders said, um, even though Bernie Sanders gave you some quote unquote specific policies um, like closing the big banks, uh, free health care, free higher education, there's no indication of how any of these things happen. And in terms of fear, I mean, there's plenty of fear being peddled at the DNC. Uh, perhaps they prefer different topics. It's not fear of terrorism, um, but definitely it's fear of the big banks. Um, it's fear of the moneyed classes. It's fear of all of the evil racist Republicans. Um, and it's fear of all of the Republicans who are heartless. And that is the reason why they support things like trade. They support it because they hate you and because they love the corporations. Um, tell, tell me if I'm wrong here. And I, and I don't want to I don't want to completely equalize the two things, because I do think that there are ways in which Donald Trump is uniquely awful. Um, and certainly rhetorically, he is uniquely awful. Um, but in terms of just that general sense that politicians utilize fear as a weapon to try to motivate voters to do things, is there not like some yeah. commonality sure. that we can see and identify I, between the two parties? I, absolutely. I mean, I don't think I don't think there's much difference between what Bernie Sanders says, you know, in, in Donald Trump in a broad sense. I mean, on the substance, they're obviously very different about things. But if you were to close your eyes, if you were to come from, you know, Estonia and know nothing about American politics, you would first find out that Donald Trump doesn't want to defend you as an Estonian if you're invaded <laughs> by the Russians. But you would also figure out that that these two people believe that we are living in some sort of uniquely horrible time. And if you look at Bill Clinton, who was up to speaking last night, if you look at Bill Clinton's speeches in, 2000, uh, in 1992, I mean, I don't remember them, and I'd have to check this, I don't remember them being as apocalyptic. And especially considering, you know, when the, the murder rate in this city in New York where we're recording this um, was, you know, what, 2,200 murders or something in 1993, and it's now 345. Yeah, it's astonishing. It's an astonishing difference. And yeah, it's money's come in, and but it doesn't make a difference. It's still the, the, the numbers concentration of people, the numbers are down really, really low. And so do I recognize that company, that, that country? You know, I'm sure like libertarians and, and people on the right will get mad at me for saying this, but you know, you have 4.9% unemployment rate. Yes, there are a lot of people that are out of the workforce. They're not looking for work. There's wage, wage stagnation. There are people that are miserable, miserable, miserable. But that said, 4.9% by the, uh, you know, Bureau of Labor Statistics, uh, you know, and all of these measures, it's not horrible. Right. We're not uniquely horrible. And I'll say that one, one, a liberal said to me at the um, RNC, which I thought was an interesting point, said, you know, all the things that Republicans promised in 2012, what Mitt Romney promised, have actually happened. Like, I will get unemployment mm -hmm. below below 6%. I will get gas down to $2 a gallon. All of that has actually happened. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's really interesting. Do I think Barack Obama is responsible for it? Not, not really. Yeah, generally. <laughs> yeah, generally a, I mean, and that's a, that, I think that's a more nuanced argument. And I'm not doing that just because I dislike the guy. And I don't yeah. really dislike the guy any more than I dislike any other politician. I don't uniquely, you know, hate Barack Obama. But the thing that I find fascinating about this is that we these indices are what they are. And nevertheless, um, we hear from both Republicans and Democrats 
that we are in a uniquely horrible time in American history. And, 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 and scaremongering is not something that is that any party has a monopoly on. It's part of politics. And everybody right. does it at all times, whether it's terrorism, whether it's left-wing terrorism, right-wing terrorism, Islamist terrorism, economy, jobs, outsourcing, blah, blah, blah. I mean, that's how you win votes. It's like, I'm going to scare the shit out of you because you know if you vote for me, all this bad stuff's going to go away. We, we you don't. I mean, it. positive messages are stupid what, what in politics. You, what say you, Matt Welch? I, I think that uh, there is a, a twin apocalypticism between uh, Trumpian uh, conservatism, if that's even the right word for it anymore, and, uh, and Sanders' uh, revolution uh, mm-hmm. specifically. Uh, you're right. I mean, if you look, look at Sanders' speech and also Elizabeth Warren's, uh, speech. Who's the uh, you know the, the, she would have been Bernie Sanders if she would have run, and she still is very much beloved. But she paints an incredibly dark picture about what the evil corporate corporates are going to corporate all over your private bits. Jeez, it's a staunch. I mean, look, you know, people are listening. It's like minute to a twenty. I don't have a clock in front of me. We got to keep them, um, uh, you know, uh, alert uh, on, on their toes <laughs> with some disgusting uh, sexual innuendo. Um, so. Uh, uh, no, I mean, it is it is a, a super bleak vision. Uh, I mean, think about this. Uh, Bernie Sanders has said in the past that he would not retrospectively or retroactively, whatever, um, support or say it was a good idea any single trade agreement that the U.S. has entered into since World War II. Not one. And if you ask him why, and this is all over his campaign website, it's because trade is a race to the bottom. That is a bedrock belief <laughs> among a huge amount of Democrats who totally. claim to be in, interested in income inequality <laughs> when international trade over the last 25 years has done more to erase income inequality on a global scale than anything anyone has ever seen. Whoops. Um, so, uh, and it is this really bleak negative vision. I mean, the Donald Trump is, a, it is an escape from New York vision. I mean, it doesn't, I mean, he's a guy, he said in his speech, and this is a quote, said that, I think, you know, I've, I've never seen anything like it. We have never lived in more dangerous times. Bro, you've lived in New York your whole life. What yeah. are you even talking about? Yeah. I, I remember uh, seeing a, a last exit to Brooklyn in Times Square in the summer of 1990 at midnight, and I'm still yeah, getting the night sweats from the walk <laughs> home from that thing. Oh, my God. Uh, which is, it's, it's just night and day right here. Um, What's disturbing about uh, his vision in particular, and he really cranked it up in that speech. He's so dumb. Um, if you go back and, and read it, and God help me, just don't. But, um, you know, he has a 54-word part uh, that even references Mike Pence. <laughs> yeah, that's right. We have a great vice president, Mike Pence. He's really done great in uh, Indiana. I think, I think there was a point where he referred to him as Skip Spence, the drummer from Moby Grape. Uh, he, does, he doesn't, he <laughs> doesn't even – that Yeah, that's, that's a white person reference. Um, he, has, he apparently has no idea who he's on stage with. He, who is it today that uh, – oh, he referred to um, uh, like Bob Hinckley. When we, when talking about the, uh, potential wow. assassin, uh, John Hinckley Jr., he referred to him as like Don Hinckley or Don Henley or something. Like the guy apparently has no idea what's going on anywhere. And by the way, that speech, I think we recorded this. Can we, can we this just point out that we should not be letting Don Henley out of jail? Yeah. So, as yeah. A starting point. yeah. Yeah. For all of those uh, crimes against humanity known as his songs. Um, <laughs> but yeah, on the trade thing, I mean, it's so funny that, that the one thing I took away from from the convention last week and I take away from this is that I just need reminding uh, once in a while, like how how big 
every how big a scumbag every politician is and how you don't need a weatherman to know which way the wind blows. And the idea that like Newt Gingrich, um, who, you know, voted for every trade deal, GATT and NAFTA and Fast Track Authority and blah, 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 is now like, you know, we really have to destroy the WTO. I'm like, what? Like, seriously, what is wrong with these people? I mean, they are that opportunistic that they will drop their principles. I mean, it, usually you have these nuanced things uh, that that is a, a variation of the of the quote. You know, when you, I, I've changed my mind, what do you do when the facts change? You know, that kind of thing. But none of this is such whiplash that in within weeks, within days, people are taking these radically uh, different positions just to be in the party. It was the Texas uh, GOP that codified into its um, uh, charter, I think it was yesterday, that they will oppose um, NATO and the World Trade Organization. I mean, if you had told me this four years ago, I would have thought you were, you were mentally ill. I mean, I still think you're mentally ill, Matt, but, but I mean, it's, that it was really shocking to me. There was a moment, I think the signature moment for me, the Republican convention, it's not Trump's speech. It was not even Ted Cruz's speech, although that was really interesting. Uh, or Mike Lee's tantrum, um, which was righteous and interesting. And all that is worth talking about. But the signature moment to tell us what a shitty moment we're living in was Reince Priebus. Politically. And I hope I'm, I'm hoping I'm mispronouncing his name because screw him. Um, uh, he's the head of the RNC uh, on stage said that, and Donald Trump is going to uh, hold accountable American companies who ship jobs overseas. Hold accountable. That's that's the politicianese for punish, which, of course, Donald Trump has said he's going to punish American companies. Imagine that uh, the, the, the party that's supposed to be for international capitalism and for uh, individualism and understanding that, you know, you the economy loses five million jobs a month, but it then creates five point one million jobs a month because we have churn and we have, we have creative destruction is going to punish fucking companies yeah. for moving to a place. Uh, that is just astonishing. It tells me that we're living in a bad time. And it's really, uh, we, we had a, a Debbie Stabenow, the, the senator from Michigan here, who's, of course, uh, uh, an awful economic statist and anti-free trader. Um, uh, on Monday on the Pete Dominic show, she's sitting across from me. And I'm like, dude, you know that like your rank and file steel workers uh, type of people here, they're leaning towards Trump. And are you worried that he's going to take this uh, issue away from you, um, being anti-free trade? Uh, and her answer was pretty revealing. She's like, well, you know, I think it's really important to point out that he does outsourcing with his companies. So, like, they're not even arguing about the ideology. They're just arguing yeah. about the practice of it, uh, which uh, which opens up this lane that uh, Gary Johnson and Bill Wells keep talking about. It's like, hey, look, we're sane over here. Can, can I can – I, <laughs> something just came across the transom here. I just wanted to point out. just came across Twitter. I think this will be of interest to both of you, uh, Camille and Matt, talking about the kind of dislocation of the Republican Party and the ideological cleansing of people who have um, interesting uh, normal beliefs about trade. Uh, Marvin Bush. Does anyone know Marvin Bush? He's like the Zeppo Marx no. of the Bush family. No. Uh, uh, <laughs> he is the brother of George W. Bush and Jeb Bush. Uh, uh, does he live, does he live in the Neil. basement? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Marvin Bush. He's he's literally, yeah, he's the, the Aussie Conseco <laughs> to the Jose Conseco of George W. and, and Jeb Bush. He uh, gave a radio interview today uh, in which he uh, said that he is uh, supporting uh, Gary Johnson for president. Uh, Jeb oh. Bush, George W. Bush. Marvin is supporting. Jeb has hinted at it. Uh, he has denied it. And Gary Johnson, to me, said to me 
that he, you know, kind of backed off that they had had conversations. I mean, it seemed clear to me that they had. Um, and there, uh, uh, you know, Johnson seemed to indicate also that, that other people had reached out, uh, mainstream uh, people had reached out. And one of the things I find interesting is that, you know, I was supposed to, I didn't have time, I ran out of time to sit down with Mike Lee, who, as you just mentioned, Matt, was running this kind of insurgency uh, along with people like Ken Cuccinelli uh, on the floor at the RNC. Uh, You know, he is a very conservative uh, Republican from the state of Utah. He's a Mormon. He said, I will never vote for Donald Trump under any circumstances, and I won't vote for Hillary Clinton. And somebody who knows him, I I spoke with, said, look, you know, uh, he's never going to say it. Um, and he, by the way, he should. It'd be, it'd be helpful to Gary. But he's, he said, "Look, you know, the, who do you think the guy's going to pull the lever for when he goes into the booth?" So I mean, he's not. He's not going to. He's saying none of these people want to say Gary Johnson's name, which I think is fun, quite funny. But they're saying like, "I won't vote for this one, and I won't for for that one, but I will vote." As is my duty on uh, on uh, um, uh, uh, election day. So I just thought I'd, well, I would I, interject and say the loser of the uh, loser Bush family <laughs> is uh, <laughs> you know the, he doesn't sound like a loser. The yeah, way you're describing uh, well, I, Marvin Bush, I think is probably the best of the Bushes. I mean, he's one, he's the one that's like fuck this. I am I am going to like start like a like a bar in like Key West. I think that's probably what that's Marvin good. Bush does. That's a great idea. I want to meet this gentleman. So yeah, uh, I. I I want to uh, interject here. I mean, so I asked Mike Lee point blank last Tuesday, uh, are you going to vote for uh, Trump or Gary Johnson? And, you know, long pause. And it's like, uh, I, uh, I'm going to have to do a lot of thinking about yeah. that. So it's explicit. And this is a week we've seen a uh, state senator in Utah um, uh, announce that he's uh, uh, turning in his Republican, his GOP card, becoming libertarian and supporting Gary Johnson. Johnson is polling in Mia Love's congressional district at something like 24 percent, uh, and he's been uh, cracking. He's been consistently double digits in Utah, which uh, you know Mitt Romney won by 28 percentage points last time around, uh, and and Clinton and Trump have been running neck and neck. Um, you're starting to see um, state politicians, uh, especially through the Mountain West, I've written about it on a couple of posts of reason, um, who've been making uh, more and more endorsements of Johnson and Weld, and just this morning. Um, I was made aware of a tweet storm by um, uh, Satan himself, uh, Bill Crystal, who this is secret um, is, is a pretty nice guy. Um, I shouldn't say that because um, yeah, he's my he ideological actually, enemy. Yeah, always yeah, and nice, always will be. Nice um, but, he's a nice guy. But by all accounts, he's like really nice. And this week, I, but um, I'm just saying this because I said that about David from last time, and I want to give people who hate me even more. That's right. But uh, um, uh, Crystal went on a long tweet storm about how he's considering Johnson well, and like uh, you know. So they're they're sort of normal compared to the crazy people running, and he just would have to have a conversation about foreign policy to see whether you know he could sinisterly uh, use them as a puppet master as well uh, before he uh, decides on it. So uh, I think we're seeing some movement here for sure, and I've been surprised uh, on the ground of the DNC to hear people volunteer. Uh, his name uh, and their names, uh, which I really expected. It would just be all Jill Stein all the time because the people that I talked to are, dis- are uh, disproportionately pro-Bernie. But uh, they're just saying, hey, look, he's a decent guy. Uh, and, you know, he's he's honest uh, as far as we can tell. And he doesn't have a big kind of corrupt machine. And he seems like he did a pretty decent job. And I'll have to take a look at it. I mean, he, this guy I was, uh, I was uh, hoisting a few backwood last night uh, who is a Marxist. Uh, he's a delegate, again, North Dakota, those guys are great, um, who uh, like is upset that they couldn't get in the platform 
that uh, the you know that the proletariat needs to own the means of production, and I'm not, I'm not exaggerating. He's like he's mad about that. Um, he's like, but I'm going to have to give Gary Johnson a real uh, lookout. Uh, yeah, yeah. There's some interesting overlap. So. Yeah, no, it's interesting. interesting we're at time. that we're at that point now. It's interesting times, and in the fact that you know the Labour Party in the UK went. Uh, uh, I can't remember how many years ago. It was not too long ago where they actually explicitly removed all that stuff from their party platform. Was like taking over the factories and shooting the kulaks in the face and things like that. They were like, you know what? Let's try to be a little more mainstream here. And they took it out. And now we have people in Matt's favorite delegation, the North Dakota delegation, trying to, you know, get that back in so we can all uh, send our ideological enemies that tweet funny jokes uh, to the gulag in North Dakota. So, uh, Camille, um, you know, there's there was something that I was thinking of you oh. because there is um, your favorite people. There was a Black Lives Matter. There's a chant. Two Black Lives Matter, Black Lives Matter. Uh, yes. Last night, yeah, um, and then a w- bunch was of- anyone was anyone chanting the opposite? I wonder uh, where, where are these people who, well, who believe the, that well, it's well, not well, the case? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Black yeah, Lives Matter, not yeah, so much. Yeah, don't really matter. Not yeah. so much. Yeah, it depends. <laughs> it, the, the chant. It depends. <laughs> it depends. <laughs> it depends. Asterix. Yeah, no, Asterix. it's not. No, this is a joke, people. I made a joke again. Made a joke on Twitter, and now I'm being crucified. So I got to clarify everything because nobody can take a joke anymore. Um, so their uh, their mothers, the mothers of uh, victims of, uh, of shooting, some of them police shootings, I believe, some of them not, um, are on stage. Um, tell me what happened and tell me your reaction to it. Uh, well, yeah, I don't remember how many there were. Uh, was it eight or nine? Uh, Matt, you, you were there. Did you, did you witness this firsthand? No, um, because I was uh, coming out with the Bernie people. And that actually led to a... Uh, a conundrum among them because they'd done this big protest and they occupied the media pavilion, which is pretty fun. Uh, and then you could tell that it was Black Lives Moms moment and like, oh shit, that's a bad look. Yeah. If, uh, yeah. if the, uh, you know, yeah, that, that uh, could not come back totally to white, you. but disproportionately white uh, uh, Bernie supporters uh, were uh, outside. So they all came in and they, uh, and they gave uh, their respect. Um, and, uh, and so on, but no, yeah. I wasn't, uh, I didn't have my ear into that situation. At all that all the optics to navigate. So the, the short version here is that a raid on stage at the DNC convention were the mothers of a number of very high profile, um, African-American people who have been killed in various ways. Sandra Bland, um, who wasn't killed, actually died. She committed suicide. Um, her mother opened up, uh, Trayvon Martin's mom was on stage, um, Mike Brown's mom was on stage and they all sort of spoke to this general issue of, of violence against black people. Uh, and this was the moment uh, for Black Lives Matter folks um, on stage. Uh, listen, I'll, I'll say this much. They are people. They have suffered a loss um, that is incredibly unfortunate. They have done so in a very high profile way, in a way that none of them asked for. Um, that is unfortunate. Uh, they, they deserve um, our consideration because of it, uh, what they don't get a pass on, um, them uh, or anyone else who supports them uh, or the entire Black Lives Matter movement, um, is having to be factually accurate um, and having to make substantive arguments uh, when they talk about these issues. And, and quite frankly, um, the, the standard narrative of the BLM movement, uh, which we've talked about here on this program before, um, is that black people are in unique danger of being killed by the police uh, and that they live in a society that does not value their lives um, because racism. Um, and that just 
doesn't seem to be true. I just don't see any evidence of that. I'm deeply skeptical of it. And what I see happening, even when it is the mothers of the mothers of people who have have died um, in various ways, um, some of we could talk about specific cases, but I'm not going to get into that now. Um, even when it's their moms on stage wearing large red roses uh, to symbolize their loss, um, it's still an anecdote. It's still an anecdote that does not stand up to a thoughtful analysis of the facts. Now, I am not a person who thinks that there is not an issue with violence in this country. Specific, well, I'm not going to do that part. <laughs> I'm not a person who thinks that there isn't an issue with violence of this country related to the cops and civilians. I think there are plenty of reforms that are needed there. Um, the real question is whether or not the DNC has any damn credibility on these issues, especially when a guy who also is on stage at the DNC is Eric Holder. Um, who had some authority and responsibility in Washington, D.C., um, during a significant spike in police and civilian-related um, uh, incidents there and did nothing about it. Um, in fact, said that he didn't see a spike, despite the fact that the Washington Post at the time wrote an extraordinary uh, series of stories for which they had won, if I'm not mistaken, a Pulitzer. Um, this guy, Eric Holder, was in a position to do something about it at the time and absolutely didn't. Um, so I, this, is the, uh, this is the issue that I have with it. And it, it, I suppose all of this takes on a, a different sort of resonance as well, because today we're seeing news um, that the Freddie Gray uh, case um, is act, all of the police officers who were being brought to trial um, or at least had charges pending against them in Baltimore. Those charges have been dropped yeah. uh, because as a result of all in the wake of all of the black lives matter stuff, Freddie Gray dies and the city's uh, attorney, um, what is her name? Uh, Melissa Mosley. It's yeah, something, Melissa something with two M's. Yeah. Um, she, uh, she today has to drop the charges because she overcharged. Yeah. Um, not because the gentleman didn't die. Uh, not because there aren't things that happened that perhaps should not have happened, but because evidence and facts matter. Yeah. Um, and uh, I just I'm rambling here by, by so the, on that on that on that point on the on the because I saw the Freddie Gray thing this morning, too. And, you know, this is a tragic uh, situation in the city. And, and we don't really know exactly what happened. That's true. Um, and, you know, so it should be looked into. It should be investigated. But it was clear from the beginning that these were political charges. They were being brought in. And she essentially said so, too, in response to, to protests. And the thing that we should uh, acknowledge and the thing that all of us who worry about the overcriminalization of life in America is that we shouldn't look the other way on overcharging people that, you know, we want to see charged. Right. We want we're, we're upset about cops and the fact that people are dying in police custody. We should actually say that, look, you know, the, the, the police are the, the prosecutor here is is overcharging for a political reason. And we should be upset about that, too. We shouldn't say just people that are being arrested because they have like 20 bucks of weed in their pocket. We should say that, like, you know, like this is these these charges are too much also. And, you know, look, the, the, the last two times, nothing happened in response. There were no riots. There were nothing. Uh, there were no real protests to, to speak of. Um, but, yeah, so this is, I, I think, an, an interesting thing. The Black Lives Matter thing being chanted. At the uh, at the DNC, this is going to be a part of the mainstream of the Democratic Party now. Um, whereas, you know, look, the woman, who, one of these women who started the Black Lives Matter, I mentioned this the other day on this show, um, 
who I can't remember her name. She does the Black Lives Matter website. But, you know, not long after this started, she was uh, brought by Nicolas Maduro to be an election observer on behalf of the Chavista government. And it's like, yeah, this is true, actually. You can look this up. I'll, I'll, I'll post her name. Um, she's very open about it. I engaged her when she was in Venezuela. And, you know, the problem with these movements is like, you know, it reminds me of this. This bumper sticker that I used to see when I was younger. Um, feminism is the idea that all women are created equal. Well, no, it's not. There is an ideological component to it, which, which is at times very radical. And I love women being tre- tre- created equal, treated equal, et cetera. And I think black lives do matter, et cetera. But what usually they, it's, you're put in this position where if you say, I'm skeptical of the Black Lives Matter movement. And the reason I say that is I'm skeptical of the ideology that underpins its leadership. Sure. It's sort of self-appointed leadership and, you know, the, the Asada Shakur t-shirts and the rest of it. But, you know, you're locked in when you're talking about this stuff. You're handcuffed. If you say like, well, feminism, you're like, wait a second, you don't agree with women being equal? Of course I do. I have a daughter. I'm, I'm you know, I think that these disparities are terrible and should be, and should be you know, uh, uh, treated fairly. But... What you're talking about is something different, and you're you're sort of tricking me into saying, uh, you know, black you support Black Lives Matter. Well, of course I do, but do I support the way this is being rolled out, the leadership, the ideology of the people that are driving the movement? No, I don't. Yeah, and that's a hard thing. That's, yeah. that's, it's part of the it's part of the mainstream of the party, um, obviously now, because who in their right mind is going to say no? I'm opposed to this, Matt. I, I want you to I, want you to weigh in here. I don't know what. Uh, which part of this you will you will take attack on? But it, while I remember it, um, Eric Holder, uh, while he w- had his role uh, in D.C. as the uh, is it was it the D.C. Attorney General? Um, I mean, he was the Attorney General of the United States, uh, but yes, he was yes. also a. Uh, uh, it was a U.S. Uh, attorney for the District of Columbia between 1993 and yeah. 1997. He also p- pushed for mandatory minimums. Um, I mean, this yeah. is the guy. It's it's appropriate to acknowledge as much. But Matt, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, and so was uh, you know Bill Clinton who uh, uh, was well, central yeah. to all that. And How about he was, that? Um, he was uh, uh, you know uh, the 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 bell of the ball last night, and and you know I, and and great. I will I would pay money to watch Bill Clinton's speech at least like five bucks. It's always pretty fun, <laughs> um, even if it, if it's all like hooey. Uh, it's just it's uh, it's always well done. A couple of points here. I think the last two weeks have illustrated the fundamental flaw. Um, in the um, branding of this as a Black Lives Matter movement. Um, I've been more positive towards uh, that, both the group and that branding than you two guys have, um, partly because I see it as a, a kind of uh, expression of or an insistence on the dignity of individuals who have been traditionally not been treated with the same amount of dignity as other people. We don't have to argue about that. That's just how I'm looking at. It. I've, I've yeah. looked at it, and so that's a powerful testimonial. Uh, and you know, considering how a way people are treated, just even in the media, you know, if it's a murder in in, uh, in Compton, it's going to be treated differently than the murder in Beverly Hills in the LA Times, and that's been historically true. So it was kind of a corrected to that, and that's really powerful organizing tool. That was the good part, but the bad part always was that um, you are uh, putting everyone else in this awkward defensive position of uh of like it's it's an implicit or explicit accusation that you don't think so um and so what does that do when you when you create that kind of dynamic it it cleaves people uh you're on team x or team y you're on team sharpton or team giuliani i don't want to be on either one of those 
uh, teams uh, personally. Um, and, and I'm not in the case of this, but it makes it really hard to organize it this way. Um, one, of the, one of the ways in which that becomes harder is pointing back to Camille's original point, is the lumping together of all these different cases as the same, which they are not, and as the outcomes of them um, obvious what we should cheer for and what we shouldn't. Uh, which they are not, because the facts of the case aren't the same in some cases. Um, and so, and, and there's an inverse of this that we saw, I saw at the Republican National Convention, right? Because that was all lives matter was what they wanted to say. And they were really pissed off at Black Lives Matter. Uh, they felt affronted here. Um, the news broke while we were out there um, that, I don't know if it was another Freddie Gray uh, case that got uh, thrown out, but one of the police abuse things, and someone like just rushed up to me, like, oh, did you hear that, you know, X cop got exonerated? Isn't that great? And it struck me that person had no idea about the facts. That's case, right. Unless yeah, I'm yeah, gravely that's mistaken. Right. Totally they true. just know that that was the good team and the good team won. That's and right. that happens on both sides of the issue. And that is terrible. Yeah. It's a terrible way to think about things. Uh, and that is the way that we're doing it. And then the second, third, final point about all of this is that politics makes you stupid. Major party politics <laughs> makes you majorly stupid. Yes. Um, and the whole point of it, politics, and the whole point, of, especially of democratic politics, and now this year, especially in in its own way, Republican politics, is to herd people into these blocks and then to squeeze those blocks for votes. Um, and so when you brand this stuff Black Lives Matter, then we're going to squeeze it into the black block vote, which is now, you know, 95 percent Democratic in this country. Um, and uh, and once you do that, you are in, you're, you are polarizing on purpose. Right. Whether or not whatever you were thinking about in terms of the branding of this and the selling of this and whatever from the beginning, now you have joined the polarization machine. And the polarization machine, when it comes to crime and criminal justice reform, has always been the enemy of those things. Absolutely. Uh, and that's what really saddens me at this moment, because we were on the verge of, of doing stuff. And there's still some of the reforms happening on the state and local level and these kind of cooperations happening. But as a major national politics issue, we are now divided. And Trump has indicated by his shift in tone and emphasis in his speech to so much law and order, um, he is going to pour as much acid into that divide as humanly possible and run on it as his selling proposition. He's going to restore order against Black Lives Matter. And we're in for a really ugly next four or five months as a result. And it it really is unfortunate that it's taken that turn because it wasn't so long ago that we had leading Republican figures. And and there are still some out there uh, like Rand Paul, um, like the uh, the nefarious Koch brothers um, who supported, who championed criminal justice reform. And, and some of them, again, continue to. Uh, and I thought for a moment there that this might catch on and be something that the broader uh, sort of conservative movement might embrace. Uh, and they, we really do seem to have gone in an entirely different direction now. And quite frankly, I think Democratic politicians, are, I won't say that they're happy that we haven't made any progress here. But in general, it's advantageous to them politically that we're at a point where we're just shouting at each other about this uh, and not necessarily making any, any progress. Um, so that, that meaningful progress really does have to come from building coalitions uh, rather than a sort of divisive uh, political rhetoric. But, uh, but here we are. Here we are. Here we are. Uh, can you just before, because we, we're uh, coming up on our hour as here. Um, and, you know, t- and it's the middle of the day today, and I got, you know, I got a job to do. I got work to do. Matt's got to get out on the floor and mix it up there with Jill Stein, um, uh, forthcoming on Reason TV, I presume. Uh, one thing that we I wanted to discuss briefly is that the, the Trumpification of European politics will continue apace. 
And the reason is, is that last week in Germany, uh, a country that was not involved in the war in Iraq and actually strenuously opposed to the war in Iraq, uh, there were four terror attacks by people um, expressing fealty to uh, the Islamic State. Uh, four attacks, um, which is pretty remarkable. Uh, one of them, and nobody pointed this out, was was right across from where um, in 1972 a uh, whole number of Jewish athletes were kidnapped and some killed and some later killed at the airport in Munich um, uh, during during the Olympic Games by by Black September and an offshoot of the PLO. Um, but yeah, no, it's 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 an interesting thing that this is. And then yesterday, I wake up and I just wanted to point out that this is. People say the new normal quite a bit. Um, I really mean this is the new normal in the sense that I woke up yesterday to one of those push alerts on my phone that a um, a uh, priest in France was beheaded in front of his congregation or yeah. his throat slit in front of his congregation. And it was videotaped, too, by two people um, who were uh, saying that we are uh, either sympathizers or a part of, of, of ISIS. And it is amazing to me how frequently frequent this happens. I mean, we're talking maybe a dozen, a dozen attacks in the last month just in Western Europe. And I don't know if anybody had any comment on that. But to me, this is, I mean, we're in a spot now that the worst nightmares of Western Europe have, have, have come true. And, you know, Trump is too stupid to actually mention any of these things. He hasn't mentioned them. Hmm. He might have mentioned one here or there, but he's too busy um, suborning the hacking of Hillary Clinton's emails, which he did this afternoon, said the Russians should, should, should take more of them if they can <laughs> find the missing emails. I saw that. I suspected that was a joke. I, I, suspe- I suspected, too. I saw Josh Barrow, um, who is a nice guy, saying, no, it was not a joke. And then uh, apparently some German, I just saw some German, uh, German reporter who had interviewed Trump said, would you recognize the rump state in Crimea that has been occupied by the Russians uh, by uh, brutal force? He said, you know, we'll be looking at that. Um, you know, I, oh, we'll think about, I mean, this is where we are here. And, you know, Paul Manafort, who's, who, who is, you know, doing his bidding of every scumbag dictator, including, uh, Viktor Yanukovych. And I mean, this is a disaster for this country and a disaster for the Republican party. What was that? Uh, I, this, these things have been happening in, um, in France while my wife, uh, and two daughters have there been in yeah. France. Hmm. Uh, so, uh, you know, the niece thing, which I, I, I can't really talk about without crying, and I, I'm, I'm serious, um, really uh, has it, it just has devastated uh, my family. It's, it's, it's so awful. And uh, I talked to uh, Emmanuel, and she just says it's every day. It is every day now at this point. And the French government has been totally lying about it. They're like, oh, you know, we had great protections uh, in Nice. They didn't. They had like a, a one concrete barrier and like a couple of cops. And, uh, and, a, and a female cop came forward and said, no, they're totally lying about the preparations they did. They've now thrown her under the bus. When the government ministers are showing up at the sites of whatever the latest attack, they're getting spit on. The populace is absolutely infuriated and enraged um, at, uh, at the government. They feel like they're not protecting. Some of these guys, were, the guy was wearing an ankle bracelet who decapitated the priest. And let's not put a fine point on this, too fine a point on this, 84-year-old priest, a midday service. Who comes to the midday service in Rouen or whatever the hell it is? It's really old people. Yeah. So let's go as young Muslim men and go to the really old people and cut their fucking heads off uh, in the middle of a service. 
um, the the level of barbarism and savagery and the the daily nature of it, um, we're in for a really bad time. There is going to be, uh, you know, forget forget about accepting refugees. That is going to go out the window. Stuff's going to start getting reversed there. And the French police do not have a handle on it. They, They have a list of uh, I think it's in the five figures. It's like tens of thousands or at least, you know, thousands of people who they consider to be associated with terrorists or, you know, likely sympathize with. They can't track them all. Um, it is a, a it is a hot mess over there. And I had, you know, the one of these attacks happened the day after um, uh, Trump's speech. And, you know, I mocked and will always mock Trump's speech for painting a completely unrealistically dystopian vision of the United States. Um, and that is still true. But what he describes, if he went and, and gave that speech in France right now, yeah. he'd be a hell of a lot more accurate. I think that's uh, right. And that is I absolutely right. terrifying. And look, yeah, it's Camille. Go ahead. Sorry. No, I was just going to I wanted to see. I wanted you guys to weigh in on two things. Uh, first, with respect to Germany. I mean, this really is a very difficult situation to wrap your head around. Uh, I saw reports that several of the people involved in those four incidents had been evaluated um, for various psychiatric issues mm-hmm. um, before uh, before the attacks took place. Um, and, and we also saw that attack in Japan, uh, which is very different um, and doesn't have the same sort of religious um, uh, issues associated with it. But again, they had some a notice from the attacker before the attack took place. Um, so the fact that there are um, sort of these breadcrumbs out here and they're not able to put things together uh, and yeah. do good police work um, is a really, really significant uh, and substantial issue that I, I imagine is going to make the populace very upset. But the, the other thing I wanted to draw some attention to is just what this all means for ISIS um, as an organization uh, and for various other terror groups who have it as their stated purpose uh, to try to drag the West into a broader ideological and military conflict um, and to create a situation whereby people who are Muslims who live in the West are forced to migrate back um, to the caliphate, to be sure. a part of what is happening there, for them to all become part of this, this conflict. And, and it, it does it does concern me greatly, uh, both that these attacks are happening um, and that there, tent, that there is an increasing sort of animus, um, which is not always thoughtful, uh, directed not just at the attackers themselves, but just at the broader population that have any sort of ideological similarity um, to these attackers, uh, attackers. Yeah, um, I mean, I think that there's, and that's that's a that's a yeah, pretty no, significant no, no. I, problem. I, I don't know I, how you yeah, fix yeah. that. No, I, I, I mean, I definitely see your point, and I, I mean, but I think that for ISIS, first of all, just the first point is is that this is the the, the slimming down of terror organizations happened in the 1970s when you would have these little groupsicles and they would never interact with one another, but there'd be teams of five or six people, etc. And uh, it would prevent if people got arrested from the whole organization right. falling. This right. Bader Meinhof group, the the Red Army faction, uh, you know, Red Brigades in, in Italy, etc. Um, but what we have here is different, and it's been a very successful model from ISIS is to encourage individuals. Yes, and like we don't, you don't need widespread support. These are very cheap and easy things to do. Think of terrorism as broadcasting today. You could never, when you know we were kids, there was you, you couldn't start a TV channel on your own. Now you need. Periscope or Facebook Live and, you know, a phone or something. Terrorism is much the same way. In the past, you needed 
a little more kind of organizational skill. You'd hijack planes, blah, blah, blah. And you'd usually they'd be in larger groups, right? There'd be multiple people involved. Now it's just like I read the, the Al-Qaeda magazine, Inspire Online, or, um, you know, um, Dybbuk, which is the ISIS version of that. And then you go out and commit an attack. And, you know, th- those magazines even have how to make these bombs. Right. You know? How to make a bomb in, in, the your, kitchen, in the kitchen of your kitchen mom. Of your mom, which was, which was the recipe uh, for the Boston, Boston Marathon bombers, um, um, pressure cooker bomb. And so you have these things. It's very hard to contain these things. And you've made this point. I think Thad, Thad, Rus- uh, Thad Russell made this point on the show. It's very hard to track these people, contain these people, because you're not fighting an army. You can't just say, they have that hill, let's bomb it and let's take it. Right. So you have individuals, young people, some of them mentally disturbed. Um, but look, I no- notice on the mental, dis- uh, the, the people say they're mentally disturbed as if that means that there's no threat, an ide- greater ide- ideological threat. It's just some kind of crazy person. No, no. I, know you, I know you're not saying yeah. that. But I had this argument with somebody recently. And the interesting thing about that is that there are a lot of people in Germany who are mentally ill. Uh, you know, this isn't happening amongst the sort sure. of average German mental ill person. These are pe- people that are watching pornographically violent videos that are encouraging them to, to, to commit, you know, murder and mass murder and beheadings, etc. So how does one actually respond to this? Well, you know, in France, for instance, uh, uh, in March, Manuel Valls, the prime minister, uh, put put a set aside 40 million euro to have like, you know, rehab programs for like people that are potential Jews. This stuff never works. You know, it really, really doesn't. And, and, you know, this, the, the, these, the, everyone's done these things. The Danes have done them. The Saudis have done it. Everybody's done this sort of thing. These rehab programs. There's no way of, of, I mean, I'm at the point and that the voters are at the point. This is the important thing of that thinking like there is no other way than smashing these people. And, and doing it in a violent, disruptive way. And that's why people are saying, you know, Front National in France, the far-right party, who, by the way, is a Putinista party too, just like Donald Trump, mm-hmm. and gets money is funded by, by the Kremlin. I mean, these are people that, that are, are, are benefiting from this in an unbelievable way because there's no nuance. It's Trump-like. Voters don't want nuance. Leave that to the sociologists. We want to know how you're going to destroy them and how violent the destruction but, is going to be. But how? I mean, who exactly. do you – well, there, the no, there is no who no, to destroy. But they don't you care. Have no idea. Look, that's the thing. Is like, you know, you know, Germany has been immune from the far-right virus because, right. uh, you know, we had the denazification program. They're very sensitive about this. You know, uh, France has a long time had uh, – National, you know, Danish People's Party in Denmark has been a long time, very influential. Germany was always the exception. You know, yeah. even Austria, which gave us gave us Hitler, for Christ's sake. Uh, even Austria had uh, FPO. The, the, now in Germany, you have this party called AFD, Alternative for Deutschland, the Alternative for Germany, which is actually making huge, massive overnight inroads because Merkel's gamble on bringing in refugees as the humanitarian uh, Germany, post-war humanitarian, has backfired. Yeah. Dramatically. Yeah. Dramatically. Matt, so. Matt, I wonder if you've got any uh, closing thoughts on this on this particular uh, question. I'm sure you do. Yeah, um, which is that, uh, uh, echoing Michael's final point, um, uh, people talk about how David Cameron, you know, made a, a colossally huge and epic uh, mistake in bringing uh, Brexit to a referendum when he didn't really want it to go the way it did. Uh, and then he had to resign as prime minister. It's a pretty big deal, all that kind of stuff. Uh, I think that as a mistake pales in comparison uh, and will be uh, treated differently in history than Merkel's decision to take in so many uh, refugees and have that go all through Europe and doing it in a way without buying in democratic legitimacy for it. She just made the decision. Um, And when leaders just make decisions without 
paving the way and discussing it and getting some buy-in with the actual human beings who lead to them. And then it leads to a tangible, a measurable uh, increase in violent attacks. And it just has. Um, then uh, that's the, the potential unraveling um, that can happen in Western Europe right now, which is still a collection of nation states where people who are not like the host country are really recognizably so. Yeah. Um, that has a really difficult time assimilating people and allowing, you know, uh, an immigrant population to just create their own jobs and create their own work. So they have pretty stifling regulations for all that kind of stuff. That is just a, a recipe for awfulness. And you can throw a little uh, uh, ruski uh, money on all of this. And, uh, and uh, you know, I'm starting to becoming a howlingly apocalyptic uh, Trumpy uh, Sanders guy. That's what oh, I'm hearing dear right God. now. God. Oof. Oh God. Uh, well, yeah. I mean, obviously, there's a there's quite a bit to to still discuss here on this particular issue. It's it's not going anyplace. So we'll come back to it. Um, we have surpassed the sixty minute month uh, mark. I wonder if either of you gentlemen have a uh, some idiot wrote this uh, that you would like to nominate. <laughs> Uh, advance uh, into the winner's circle. Jeez, yeah. Um, well, I would just say this. If you look at the tweet that I mentioned um, earlier that, uh, from a couple of days ago, some idiot tweeted this is pretty much every response to that tweet, uh, which uh, people <laughs> who cannot take a joke and um, vacillated between thinking I was making fun of the suicidal and to making fun of the working class because they didn't get the, uh, the um, um, TGI Fridays joke because those are the people that wear all the buttons on the flare. They, wear, they used to wear them on their uniforms. So everybody who responded to me is a, is a fucking moron. So this is, some fuck, this is some fucking moron tweeted this. And then I will say my parting shot, I'll wrap it into one and leave it to you guys, is um, as a, a tomorrow and Friday, is uh, is uh, fifth column week uh, with Bill Maher mm. because uh, tomorrow night on the convention special, the last convention special that Bill Maher is doing um, after uh, Hillary's speech, um, I will be on uh, with my old uh, chum Salman Rushdie, who I've been on with before. Uh, and on Friday on the full normal big show, I believe that's you, Matt Welch, right? Yeah, I am. I'm flying right out. Mm. So, uh, Look at that. Just a high five. Dominating. Let's, uh, go, uh, let's, let's go on the strip. Get some, uh, get some blow. Get some Let, stuff done. Let's 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 blow out our nostrils this weekend. <laughs> <laughs> and for anyone who cares, I'll be watching basketball in uh, in Chicago on Friday night. Um, Matt, you got anything else? That's it. That's Enjoy, it. Uh, go to reason.com. Look at our coverage of the convention. Good yes, stuff. Good yes. stuff. Continue good to stuff. continue to follow Reason's uh, coverage of the convention. Uh, this has been, uh, I think, a uh, informationally packed show, uh, gentlemen. It is always a pleasure to be with to be with you. Hopefully next week we can all be in the same damn room uh, when we do this try podcast. I mean, that, that could be, try that could be an interesting thing. Maybe, Maybe you guys can actually be. do some sure. work. <laughs> all right, cool. And we out. We right? gown. We out, we out, we, we out. We know of new methods of attack. The Trojan Horse. The fifth column. column.